I'm excited about the sermon today. There is just something about the interactions of Jesus with people that just gets me fired up. It gets me excited. You know, over the past few weeks, we've looked at how unloving many in this world can be. We spent some time looking at fear, and then last week, we focus on the dangers of having an unforgiving heart. Many of these worrisome things are simply the reality of living in a sinful world. That's the bad news. But fear not, dear friends. There is some good news, and it's this. We'll be looking through this series at these ailments and infections caused by sin, but our main focus will be on the truth that Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the cure. And our sermon today is entitled, Finding Hope in a Hopeless World. Finding Hope in a Hopeless World. You know, you turn on the news, and you're sure to be disheartened. That's been the case for quite some time, but things have really ramped up over the past year, have they not? There are various factors at play here, but researchers have found that 48% of Americans are feeling down, depressed, or hopeless during the COVID-19 pandemic. That's almost half, half. You know, it's hard to have hope when you see all these terrible things happening in the world around you. And it's even harder when these terrible things are affecting you and your personal life or affecting those that you love and care about. But this isn't a 21st century problem. Humans feeling hopelessness is nothing new. Feelings of hopelessness exist because of sin. They exist because of sin. So I'd imagine that humans have been dealing with feelings of hopelessness ever since sin entered this world. Let's spend some time today looking at a few particular individuals that dealt with hopeless feelings in Jesus' day and what he did to help. Today we'll look at seven individuals that at some point or another felt completely hopeless. And it's my prayer today that this sermon will do two things. First, I pray that it helps us realize that we aren't alone or strange when we feel hopeless, when we have those moments. But second and most important, I pray that we find power, courage, and hope in the truth that Jesus is the cure. I love this quote from Jeff Andros. He said, God calls us to have the strength to trust him over our hopelessness and to let him give us the strength to overcome what it is that we feel hopeless to. Where do you place your trust? Where do you find your strength? I want you to mull over these two questions in your mind throughout this sermon. But for now, let's turn our eyes to Nicodemus. The first time that we see Nicodemus is in John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3, 1 and 2, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. We learn a lot about Nicodemus in this first image. He's a Pharisee, right? He's well educated in Torah and in the things of God. He's a ruler of the Jews, so he holds a high position of power, authority, and respect. And because of all of this, he comes to Jesus under the cover of darkness. Whether it's out of pride or fear, we can't be completely sure, but he didn't want people to know that he, in his position, was coming to speak with this strange teacher from out of Galilee. You know, I hear a lot of Christians make a fuss concerning the fact that Jesus came, or that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Yet when I look at this story, I'm left saying, well, at least he came to Jesus. At least he made the effort. I believe Jesus is less concerned about how we come to him, and he's more concerned that we come at all. You see, Jesus understands, Jesus knows how powerful his good news message is. He just wants people to hear it. Now, we see Nicodemus here in John 3 for the first time, but that isn't the last time that we see him. We see him again in John chapter 7, and then finally we see him in John 19. And there's a clear progression in his character. He goes from not wanting anyone to know he was even speaking to Jesus in chapter 3 to standing up to his peers in chapter 7 for their fair untreatment of Jesus. And then finally in chapter 19, we see him bringing 100 pounds of costly myrrh and aloes to anoint the body of Jesus for burial. And at that point, not caring what people might see or what those people might think or say about him. It makes me think of this quote from Craig Rochelle. He pastors at this church right up the street, that big white cross. He wrote, reputation shows who people think you are. Character shows who you really are. In chapter three, we find that Nicodemus has placed all of his hope in his power, his position, and his education. Counting completely on ourselves is a hopeless endeavor. Maybe, maybe you've experienced that. Yet, as we see Nicodemus' progression through the story, we find a man whose true character shines through. He no longer puts all of his hope in himself, but instead is fully willing to put his hope in Jesus. Now, what about Peter? Peter is someone else who had a lot of self-reliance. But he also showed a desire to impress others. He placed a lot of hope in saying or doing the quote-unquote right thing, right? So that he'd be accepted by his peers or by his master, Peter thought he had all the right answers, and he made sure that everybody else knew that as well. Now, look at this peculiar incident in Matthew's gospel. 
And then Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Old to try to tell Jesus what he can and can't do, right? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. (laughs) Now, as far as I know, Peter's the only person that Jesus ever said, get behind me, Satan, to. That's saying a lot because Jesus came face to face with Satan himself in the wilderness, and he never said that. Wow. And I believe he said that because Jesus understood that the path of complete self-reliance is a dangerous road to follow. It's a dangerous place to be. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This was a warning to Peter because Jesus loved him and knew his weaknesses. Peter's self-reliance and desire to be seen as great in the eyes of others was a barrier to fully embracing the hope that he could have in Jesus. Ellen White wrote this about Peter, and I couldn't agree more. Peter needed to distrust himself and to have a deeper faith in Christ. Peter trusted in himself and sank below the waves. He trusted in himself when he pulled Jesus aside to rebuke him. He trusted in himself when he declared that he would never deny Jesus. And he gave into his desire to be accepted by others when he did indeed deny Jesus three times. But when it was all said and done, Peter learned to look to Christ. He placed all of his hope in Jesus. And we know this is the case because later on in Peter's ministry, he was able to write this following sentence with confidence. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter no longer placed his hope in its own erring and impetuous ways. Instead, he placed his hope in Christ and him crucified. Now, what about Zacchaeus? Contrary to popular belief, there is much more to the story of Zacchaeus than the fact that he was a, quote, unquote, wee little man. I blame the song for that. But there's more to the story. Luke tells us this in his gospel. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Okay, so Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That's that's clear here. And because the lucrative production and export of balsam was going right through Jericho, which is where Zacchaeus lived, his position would have carried both importance and and wealth. He was rich. He had money. He had position. But we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can find lasting hope in those types of things. 
No. Zacchaeus climbed up into that sycamore tree in hopes that he might just get a simple glimpse of Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus had believed the opinions that other people had toward him. He didn't think Jesus would want anything to do with him. But on that, Zacchaeus was wrong. Instead, Jesus stated that he planned to eat at Zacchaeus's house that very day. And what exactly was the opinion of the people concerning Zacchaeus? We see in verse 7, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. This is what the people believed about Zacchaeus, but not Jesus. Jesus saw the real Zacchaeus. He saw this man's heart. Jesus himself was the one that preached, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. But after spending time with Jesus, Zacchaeus saw who he really was. He didn't believe the judgments of the people but instead cherish the hope that Jesus saw something better. He gave half of his wealth to the poor and recompensed any past wrongs he may have committed. Wow. When this story began, Zacchaeus never dreamed that Jesus would ever want to speak with him, but after meeting Jesus, he was left with hope, hope that he was accepted, hope that he was called. Hope that he was loved. This quote is an important reminder. What we should remember about Zacchaeus is that he was profoundly changed by an encounter with Jesus. My hope is that that same thing can be said about each one of us as well. Now, what about the woman at the well? This was a woman whose life history and cultural standing kept her from experiencing hope. She was at the well, not in the morning, but in the heat of the day because she wasn't welcome with the other women. She'd had five husbands and was currently living with a man that she wasn't married to. In the eyes of the people in her city, she was to be shamed, ridiculed, and judged. But then Jesus came to town, and she found hope. This man, Jesus, didn't love her out of ignorance either. She spoke these words out of her own mouth. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Jesus knew her past. He knew her mistakes. He knew her struggles. Yet he still accepted her. On that note, I believe that there is an important distinction that more of us Christians need to come to understand and live out. Namely, acceptance does not equate to approval. Acceptance does not equate to approval. And what we get caught up in, we don't approve what somebody is doing, and so because of that, we don't accept them. And they're left to fend for themselves. Where is the love in that? Is that how Christ treated other people? Jesus accepted her. He knew her history, but he still loved her. He saw her as worthy to receive hope. 
Another thing that stands out in this story is the fact that in their brief interaction, the unnamed woman asked Jesus a number of questions that he didn't, he didn't seem too uh, worried about answering. One of my favorite Christian authors is the late Rachel Held Evans, and this truth wasn't lost on her. She wrote, the essence of the divine is love. In the midst of your questions, you are fully loved right now, just as you are. I believe the woman at the well experienced this very thing, and it gave her an enormous amount of hope. It changed her. Dear friends, I hope you also come to accept the truth that Jesus loves you as you are in this very moment. In Mark's gospel, there's a story about an unnamed father who comes to Jesus. He pleads with Jesus for mercy. You see, his son had been possessed by an evil and violent spirit since childhood, and nobody was able to help him. The father was at his wit's end. He was doubtful. He was jaded, and he had just about lost all hope. But Jesus told him that all he had to do was believe. With every ounce of genuine honesty within him, the father cried out, and he tells the truth. that His desire to believe was drowning in a sea of doubt. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Everything the father had tried up to that point had failed. The doctors had tried and failed to cast that demon out. The disciples themselves had tried and failed to cast that demon out. But Jesus is the cure. Even through all the man's doubts and unbelief, Jesus gave the man hope and saved his son from his torturous possession. Two more examples before we wrap this all up. Two more people who, before encountering Jesus, had no hope. No hope. The woman caught in adultery has lost all hope. The man born blind has lost all hope. This life has taken it from them. And they are so different, yet so very much the same. From their stories, we come to find that the woman, through her own actions, has brought much of the misery upon herself. The blind man is experiencing the misery because of no fault of his own. They are both living lives of no hope. But then Jesus shows up on the scene. The woman was condemned, but Jesus said, I do not condemn you. The man was blind, but Jesus said, I have come that those who are blind will see. She received hope in the form of acceptance. He received hope in the form of gaining back his sight. What about you, dear friends? Are you feeling hopeless? Jesus wants to change that. Jesus wants to change that. 
Maybe you've spent too much of your life depending on yourself. You're educated, you hold a high position in your place of work, or you just know how to get things done. It's gotten you far in life. But you've come to realize that you still let others down. You still let yourself down. Maybe you struggle with the desire to impress others. You have this nagging fear that people won't like you. And so you're always trying to do what they will like or say the things that you think they would like to hear. You're eager to please, but it's left you feeling like a ship without a sail. Just being tossed to and fro amongst the waves with no true direction. Maybe you have a checkered past. Maybe your career choice is looked down upon. Maybe people judge you without truly getting to know the intentions of your heart. Or maybe because of life experiences, you have become jaded, disillusioned, and negative. You've simply been hurt, ignored, and let down by people too many times. And you don't know if you'll ever be able to trust again. Maybe you have doubts. All this Jesus talk, his, his good news message, it all just seems maybe a, a little too good to ever be true. All of that stuff, it matters to Jesus, but maybe not in the way that you think. He cares about your pain and your doubts. He wants to help you with your pride and your anger. He wants to hear about your, feel, your fears and your failures. But none of these things will affect the truth that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter if you feel hopeless because of your own sin and reckless living. It doesn't matter if you feel hopeless because of nothing that you personally have done wrong. Jesus loves you, and nothing can change that. Paul believed it. Paul had that hope. He wrote this in Romans 8, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus, Jesus believed it. He offered us hope in John 10 when he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. The world can be going to hell in a handbasket, but that doesn't affect Christ's love toward you. Your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, mercy, maybe even church members, may say all kinds of mean things to you. They may judge you and call you a sinner, but that doesn't affect Christ's love towards you. 
there is hope in Jesus. So no matter the sin, no matter the struggle, no matter the lie, no matter the doubt, no matter the pain, no matter the fear, Jesus is the cure. Now, normally I'd wrap up and I'd say amen and amen, but I'm gonna take this just a little bit further because I, 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 can, I can see the looks on some of your faces. I can see the, the, the wetness in some of your eyes. And I, I don't want you to leave this place without an opportunity to commit your life to Christ or recommit it to Christ. And so if anything that I have said here If you relate to any of these Bible characters, and maybe you've wondered if you're good enough to be loved by Christ. Maybe you've been hurt by people in the church or people outside of it. Maybe you've wondered if your doubts will keep you away from Jesus' open arms. But you've heard today, you've seen the truth in God's word that Christ loves you above it all. And you just wanna say, I accept that love. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and accept that love from Christ, believing that it is yours, believing he loves you, believing that he cares. And maybe there is somebody here who has never fully accepted the love of Christ. And you're saying, in this moment, I believe that Christ loves me and I want to show my love for him. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to do what some individuals did last week and two weeks before that and get into that tank of water and be baptized to tell the world that I've accepted Jesus' love and I love him back. Is there anybody here that maybe wants to take that next step? I'm just going to invite you to just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Maybe you're not quite ready to raise your hand in a room full of people that you might know or might not know. There's that Google Voice number. Don't let this moment pass you by. Life's, Christ's love is not going to pass you by. You might not step forward today, but keep listening for that knocking of Christ on the door of your heart. Amen and amen. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue this series with a sermon entitled End Time Anxieties. End Time Anxieties.